tonight. Glad able to meet together in the middle of this week and open God's Word and study together. Look at this uh, this prophecy, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. A very important passage uh, in uh, Isaiah's prophecy, the promise of Emmanuel. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is where we'll start tonight, Isaiah seven fourteen. But before we do, are there, there are prayer requests, prayer concerns, anything? And um, All right, Isaiah chapter 7, and I'll begin reading in verse 14. Isaiah seven fourteen. Isaiah speaking to the king Ahaz, king of Jer- Judah in Jerusalem. And he says in uh, Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will come and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and all thorns and in all pastures. In the same way, the Lord will shave with a hired razor with those from beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. It shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, so it will be from the abundance of milk they give that he will eat curds, for curds and honey everyone will eat who is left in the land. It shall happen in that day that whoever there could be Wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, it will be for briars and thorns. With arrows and bows, men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with the hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns. And it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. And so... uh, uh, Isaiah speaks that 800 years before an angel of the Lord would appear to a man named Joseph in a village called Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 1, we read Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so as I, as I studied this text this, uh, to week, this week, you know, I asked, why, why can't 
prophecy be just, why, do, why does prophecy have to be so complicated? Why couldn't the prophet just say, you know, in about 800 years, uh, a young couple named Joseph and Mary are going to arrive in, in Bethlehem about the time that Mary will give birth to a, to a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call his name Jesus. He will be the rightful heir to the throne of David and he will be the savior of the world. And uh, he will be born of a virgin, therefore he will be called the son of God and the son of man. And he will die on a Roman cross for the sins of his people. And then God will raise him from the dead. And he will save all those who come to him in faith. <laughs> you know, uh, why couldn't the prophecy just be clear and just be plain? But uh, God's ways are not our ways. And he sent his prophet to Ahaz uh, to tell him that the plot against his city and against the throne of the son of David would not stand. And so he speaks in a way that uh, to Ahaz would be beyond his comprehension and he would never see the fulfillment of it. And yet, 800 years later, we see the fulfillment of that. And so Ahaz uh, has gone to expect the water supply of the city as the armies of Israel and Syria have come and laid siege to Jerusalem. And God sends his prophet to uh, uh, send uh, a word of, of, uh, of comfort to Ahaz, to tell him that the plot against him will not stand. Remember that uh, Syria and Israel have come against Jerusalem because they are afraid of Assyria in the east, and they want to form an alliance to stand against the aggression of Assyria, the world superpower. They want Judah to join that alliance but Judah doesn't want to, and so they have moved against Judah to dispose the king and put a king on the throne that will join their alliance, that will be friendly to them. And, I, and Ahaz goes to inspect the water supply Isaiah sent to him, and he is told that this plot will not stand. And he is called to believe and told in verse 9, if you do not believe, you will not be established. And then God even tells the king to ask for a sign. Ask for a sign that will help you believe. The prophet tells him that God will give you anything you ask. From the depths below or the heights above, anything. Ask anything to confirm God's word to you, to confirm God's message. But Ahaz refused. And he refused in spiritual sounding language, saying that he did not want to put the Lord to, to the test. But as we saw last time, Ahaz has already decided what he wants to do. He doesn't want a word from the Lord. He's not interested in a word from the Lord. He's not interested in a sign from the Lord. He has decided what he is going to do, and he is going to reach out to the king of Assyria to come to his aid. Israel and Syria have come against him to try to enlist him against the king of Assyria, but Ahaz has decided that he will uh, join the Assyrian alliance and get the king of Assyria to come and help him defeat the kings of Israel and Syria. He doesn't want the Lord to interfere with his plan. He doesn't want a sign from the Lord to make his plan to appear to be foolish. So he refused to ask for a sign. He did not ask for confirmation of God's word. He could have asked for the Lord to defeat Israel and Syria, and, and Syria uh, in a miraculous way, but he did not. He did not believe 
and he would not be established and he would not live to see the downfall of the king of Israel or the downfall of the king of Syria. But the Lord tells him that will occur. And yet, because he is unbelieving, he will not be established. He will not stand. He will not see the victory. And he will not even see the sign that the Lord will give. Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, but the Lord gave the sign anyway. And it's not a sign to Ahaz. It's a sign that the fulfillment will come long after his death. But it is a sign that is given to the house of David. Uh, remember uh, when Isaiah speaks to Ahaz he, in verse 13, he doesn't call him by name. Uh, he, he speaks to the whole house of David. He speaks to, speaks to Ahaz as a representative of the house of David, a descendant of David. Verse 13, hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary also? And so the Lord gives a sign not to Ahaz, but to the house of David. And this sign will not be good news to Ahaz. Ahaz doesn't want a word from the Lord. He doesn't want a sign uh, from the Lord. He doesn't want to turn from his chosen course of action. He has rejected the way of faith. And the result will be judgment on him. He will not stand. He will not be established because he is not believing. And yet the Lord promises a sign to the house of David. And that is the sign, the sign of Emmanuel. And so let's look at this sign, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. A virgin will conceive how can this be how can a woman conceive that has not known a man it will require a miraculous work of God it's not humanly possible just as the preservation of the kingdom and the line of David will require a miraculous work of God um, the the sign God showing a sign to confirm his word something that is humanly impossible, God will bring about, a virgin will conceive. And the exact fulfillment of this prophecy would be a mystery until it actually happened 800 years later in a little out-of-the-way village of Nazareth and then the, the, the birth occurring in the small town of Bethlehem, the city of David outside of Jerusalem. But because Ahaz did not believe, he would not be established and he would be long dead before the fulfillment. He could have asked for anything, something in his day, in the depth of the height above, but he refused. He was unbelieving, so he would not be established. But the line of David, the line of David would be preserved miraculously through an act that only God can perform. And again, this would be an, a mystery to the Old Testament saints until its fulfillment 800 years later that we read about in Matthew's gospel. And so the sign is promised, but there is a long time before it's fulfilled. And the people, uh, it's, it's, it's a mystery to them until it happens. So, so the virgin will conceive. God will do something Outside of the ordinary, he will intervene miraculously. The virgin will conceive and then she will bear a son. She will have offspring and that offspring will be male. 
from the seed of woman will come a man. She will bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And this is a revelation that goes beyond what was given to David in 2 Samuel 7 when God made his covenant with him. But it's consistent with what David says in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, David says, The Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And so the son that is conceived by the virgin will be the son of God. And uh, uh, when this baby is born, God will come to live among his people. God the Son, the Son of God, will become a man, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, and, and he will come among us as a man to bring God to us and bring us to God. They will call his name Emmanuel. The fourth thing we see about this sign is that this male child, this male offspring of the virgin, will grow in poverty. Verse 15, curds and honey he shall eat. And this is a sign of poverty. Curds and honey were the the food of the poorest among the land. And when Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple, they offer two turtle doves, which indicates that they are too poor to afford a lamb to offer to redeem their firstborn son. He will be raised in poverty. And fifth, though he is Emmanuel, God with us, though he is the Son of God, He will also be the son of man and he will grow and he will learn like every other human. Verse 15, curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. So he's Emmanuel, he is God with us. As God he is omniscient but as man... He will grow and he will learn like every other human. He will grow in wisdom. He will grow in stature. He will grow in favor with God and man. He will learn. And he will learn to know good from evil. And unlike Ahaz, he will refuse the evil and choose the good. And so Emmanuel, God with us, will be raised in poverty, but he will learn. And he will learn to refuse the evil and choose the good. And then sixth, before this child will be old enough to make moral choices, long before, very long before, the kings of Syria and Israel will have fallen. They will have fallen to the king of Assyria. Verse 16, before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. And so they will fall to Assyria. But the king of Assyria will also come against Judah. Remember Ahaz's course of action, the path that he has chosen is to reach out to the king of Assyria to help him against the kings of Syria and Israel that have come against him 
trying to throw him off the throne so that he will join or Judah will join the alliance. He has chosen to look to Assyria to save him instead of the Lord. He has chosen what he can see. He has chosen political and military expediency. He sees that Assyria is the world's great superpower and that if he comes against Syria and Israel, they don't stand a chance. And so he has chosen to reach out to them. But the prophet says, The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house. And so the king of Assyria will also come against Judah. Jerusalem will not fall. Ahaz will not be disposed by him. But the land of Judah will be devastated. Remember, uh, uh, just like Israel and Syria, when they came against Judah, they killed 120,000 men of Judah in one day, took 200,000 captives from among their the women and the, their sons and their daughters. And yet when they came to Jerusalem, they were stopped. And that's where they are now, laying siege on Jerusalem. Well, the same thing is going to happen to the king of Assyria. He is going to come and he is going to devastate the land of Judah. And then he's going to lay siege to Jerusalem. And the Lord will miraculously deliver his people, as we will see later in Isaiah's prophecy. And so the king of Assyria is going to come against Judah. The land will be desolate. Every tree will be cut down. But in that root will be a holy seed. And out of that root, that seed will produce a branch that will bear much fruit, a branch from the, the, the root of Jesse. But Ahaz has no intention of listening to the Lord. A sign would not convince him, so he refuses to ask, trying to... Uh, cover his refusal in spiritual sounding words, refusing to put the Lord to the test. And when the Lord promises this cryptic sign, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. He's going to be raised in poverty. He's going to grow in wisdom. And before he can make a moral decision, these kings will be destroyed. And Ahaz is not even curious. You know, when... When Mary, when the angel appears to Mary and tells her that she will conceive, you know, she at least asks, well, how can this be? <laughs> she, she asks for more information. Now, Ahaz is not even curious. He doesn't say, how can a virgin conceive? Uh, what does it mean that he's going to be Emmanuel? Uh, how are we going to be delivered from these? He, he cares nothing about the word of the Lord. There is no curiosity he doesn't ask how it will happen. He doesn't ask when it will happen. He shows no interest in the meaning of the sign. And even the warning that, that you're going to reach out to the king of Assyria, but he's not going to help you, and far from helping you, he's going to come against you. And he's going to devastate your land. Ahaz cares nothing about the Lord's warning, about the word that has come from the Lord. That warning will not turn him from his course of action, from what he has decided that he was due, he will do from the choice that he has made. He will turn to the king of Assyria for help, and the king of Assyria will not help him. 
And so the first part of this message is the promise of the sign, the sign of Emmanuel that we know and, and believe is fulfilled. And the angel tells Joseph is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so he promises this sign, a sign that's going to be fulfilled 800 years in the future. Ahaz cares nothing about it, is not curious about it, does not ask for more information. He is committed to his course of action. And so now the prophet then turns to show him the foolishness. The foolishness of looking to Assyria and not the Lord for his salvation, for his rescue. Ahaz has chosen to trust in what he can see. He has chosen the way of worldly wisdom. He has chosen to do what makes sense to him and what is right in his own eyes. He has chosen to do what he believes to be militarily and politically expedient. But that choice is foolish, and he will see the foolishness of that choice. So Assyria is going to come upon you and your people and your father's house. Days uh, that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Remember there was a civil war in Israel when uh, Rehoboam, the king of Solomon, became, the son of Solomon became king in Judah and, uh, uh, and unwisely took the advice of the young people and said he was going to put a heavy yoke on the people. He was going to raise their taxes. He was going to be demanding of them. And the ten northern tribes rebelled against the house of David, rebelled against Jerusalem and Judah. They formed their own nation, and there was this civil war. Uh, and uh, Israel managed to withdraw, to rebel against the house of Judah, set their own kingdom and their own nation, and now they're at war with Judah again. The prophet says, that Assyria is going to bring days upon you that you have not seen since that civil war, since the kingdom was divided, uh, ten tribes in the north and two in the south. Devastation is going to come. And in verse 18, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly. <laughs> that is the, in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. These empires... These emperors, these armies in which Ahaz has chosen to trust are but flies and bees to the Lord. Uh, uh, massive armies like a swarm of flies and a swarm of bees, swarming insects, pests, but these flies and these bees are instruments or tools in the hands of the Lord. These empires, these emperors, these armies are tools in God's arsenal. And they stand ready to do His will. He whistles for them and they come. It's foolish to look to Egypt and Assyria for help. Yahweh is the Lord of history. He is the ruler of the world. He is the ruler of everything in the world. And He will call for these invading armies... They will come like swarms of flies from the west and swarms of, fleas, of bees from the east. And they will occupy the land. They will come and they will rest in the desolate valleys and the clefts of the rocks and all the thorns and all the pastures. They will come like these massive swarms and the armies will totally occupy and devastate their land. The land will be devastated. 
and the people will be humiliated in verse 20. In the same day, the Lord will shave with a hired razor with those from beyond the river, the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs will also remove the beard. This is a sign of humiliation, of being totally dominated and humiliated by having your head shaved, your beard shaved off, your, the hair shaved from your, your body, showing humiliation and shame as you have been totally overpowered, totally conquered, totally helpless to do anything for yourself, left humiliated, filled with shame, and naked. And there will be extreme poverty. It shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. So it will be from the abundance of milk they give that he will eat curds. For the curds and honey everyone will eat who is left in the land. They won't be able to afford to eat meat because they have to keep those cows and sheep alive in order to produce the milk that can curdle to make their curds, their cottage cheese. And so their diet will be only cottage cheese and honey that they can go and, uh, and rob from the bees. The curds and honey show the poverty uh, we talked about that already. Emmanuel's going to be raised in poverty. He's going to eat curds and honey, the, 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 the food of, of the poor. And this land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, that was going to be a place of prosperity and comfort and protection if the people came and obeyed the Lord, now it will, uh, uh, it will not produce and they will be poor. The land will be devastated by the army. And that land that was flowing with milk and honey, now uh, farming will not be impossible. Farming won't be impossible, will be impossible because the damage to the land and the occupying armies and people will have to resort to scavenging in order to survive. There will be extreme poverty. And there will be lawlessness. Verse 23, it shall happen in that day that whatever there could be, wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, it will be for briars and thorns. With arrows and bows, men will come there because of all the land will be briars and thorns. And what, are the, what are the briars and thorns point back to in Scripture? the Garden of Eden, to the curse. The, the land is cursed for sin. So that land that was flowing with milk and honey is now cursed because of the sin, the rebellion of the people. It will just produce briars and thorns. Again, farming uh, will be impossible. The land will be hostile. But not only will the land be hostile, but uh, there will be danger from hostile men and hostile animals. Instead of taking your hoe to the land, you've got to take your bow and arrow. Because there's lawlessness, there's danger. You've got to have your bow and arrow to, to uh, defend you against those hostile men and beasts. Repetitive work with the hoe will do no good. And to any hill which can be dug with a hole, you won't go there for fear of briars and thorns. And it will become a range for oxen, a place for sheep to, to go. And so your repetitive work with a hoe will bear no fruit. Wild men and wild animals and briars and thorns will overcome the land 
And so if you go into that land, don't bring your hoe, bring your bow and arrow. Be ready to defend yourself against the danger and lawlessness. So Ahaz has decided what he wants to do. He wants to look to Assyria to save him instead of looking to the Lord. He's using worldly wisdom, what he can see, military and political expediency, rejecting the warning, the admonition that has come to him from the Lord. The Lord has given his word, promised him a sign, I'll do anything you ask, but he refuses and instead chooses his chosen course of action. He does not believe. He has been warned. He has been admonished. He has been counseled. He's been told if you do not believe, you will not be established. And he remains unbelieving. He refused to have faith. He refused to believe the word of the Lord. He refused to turn from his chosen course of action. He has chosen to put confidence in what he can see in the king of Assyria instead of the Lord of all the earth. Isaiah counseled him to believe in what he could not see. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Ahaz has been called to believe in what he can't see. But he instead has chosen to put his trust in what he can see. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, but it's not a blind faith. Isaiah is not telling him to take a blind leap of faith, a leap in the dark, but to see the awesome power of the Lord, to see God's faithfulness in the past to his people, to see how he carries out his word, how he keeps his, his promises. It's not blind faith, but seeing the awesome power of the Lord, his goodness, his power, his wisdom, his might, his sovereignty, his authority that has been demonstrated throughout the history of his nation. Look to God and his power, and then look, contrast the ineffectiveness of the nations, the ineffectiveness of military and political power, the foolishness of looking to Egypt or Assyria to save you instead of the Lord, and yet he refuses to believe. Instead of diligently seeking the one who is invisible, he has chosen to reach out to the king of Assyria who cannot save him. He has uh, refused the Lord's counsel, and he will not stand. But God, in his great love, made a promise to the house of David. Even though the house of David, and Ahaz in particular, had wearied God in their rebellion and their obedience, because God is faithful to his promises, in his great love, he came to us as a man, Emmanuel, God with us. And God with us is one of the great promises of Scripture. We saw it in the, Adam, in, the, in the Garden of Eden. God came to the Garden of Eden to meet with Adam and Eve. 
that they sinned against God and that fellowship was broken. But even after that, God would come and walk with those who believed in him. Enoch, Noah, Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. God spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then in the wilderness, the nation built a tent, a sanctuary, a tabernacle. So God could come and visibly dwell in the midst of his people. And even, there, even though there was much sin during the time of the judges and the time of the kings, God's promise was never forgotten. The nation was sent into exile, but when they returned, they rebuilt the temple under the ministry of Haggai and Zechariah because they were longing to have God with them, and the temple was the symbol of his presence with them, among them. And as we see in this prophecy and its fulfillment, the ultimate reality of the presence of God in the midst of his people is in the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. He pitches his tent among us. He tabernacles among us. He comes, God the Son, the Son of God, but he comes as man and he grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He chooses the right. He lives a perfectly righteous life. And then he dies on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. And God raises him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. And now God is building a spiritual house, a temple, not built of quarried stones and paneled with beams and boards of cedar. It's a spiritual house built of living stones attached to the cornerstone, which is Christ. And he dwells with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we look forward to the day when Emmanuel will come again and dwell in the midst of his people. In the new Jerusalem, a new city, where there will be no temple. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There will be a city where there's no need of the sun or the moon to shine. For the glory of God will illuminate it and the Lamb will be its light. There will be no more curse, no thorns and briars. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And so 800 years before the promise, the coming of Jesus, God speaks to the house of David. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He has come bringing God to us and bringing us to God through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Sending the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us. Empowering us to live in this in-between time when we look forward to his return. Where we will see him face to face. And we pray the last prayer of Scripture, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come and fill the earth with your presence that we might see you face to face. So any questions about the sign of Emmanuel given to Ahaz?
as he inspected the aqueduct, the water supply, as his city was under siege. All right, well, next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the promise of another son. Mershallah uh, Haspaz will uh, also be a son with a prophetic name. And so uh, we'll consider that passage next week. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for your son. That you have sent Jesus into the world to be God with us and to be Jesus who has come to save his people from their sins. And Lord, I pray that you grant us the grace not to put faith in what we can see, to not put our faith in political expediency, military power, the nations, even our own nation. Lord, that we would not look to the wisdom of the world, the things of the world, to provide our security, our safety, our salvation. Lord, but we would look to you and look to your son, Jesus, and see the great victory that he has won for us by his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. And Lord, help us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to trust you completely and to hold fast to your truth and your word. And Lord, we pray that you help us as we seek to do that which is pleasing in your sight and to walk by faith, believing that you are and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. May we seek you for all that we need and recognize our need and our dependence upon you and may we experience your presence and your peace god with us and it is in his name the name of jesus we pray amen